to the wall and begin feeling down, also known as the January blues. But she starts to feel a bit low, even in anticipation of that before Christmas. And sometimes we can feel like that. Well, I don't want to um, provoke depression, um, but there is something in this that speaks to the human condition. Setting aside seasonally affected disorder, which I I recognise is a real challenge for some people, by the way. Um, Setting that aside, the problem with January is that Christmas, for many folk, for most folk, hasn't really changed anything. Difficult relationships, financial worries, job loss, keeping up with the bills. And above all, the emptiness of life, the nagging suspicion of meaninglessness to life. None of that is touched by Christmas festivities. Mince pies don't take it away, though they are lovely, and I've had three in the last two or three days. Don't really take it away. Feel-good films, they're great. And we might shed a tear over them as well. But they don't take away that long-term stuff, do they? Parties. Fun at the time, but they don't satisfy. Not that all of these things are are, are bad things. Scrooge's bar humbug approach to Christmas is just miserable. And if that's your approach, well, you might benefit from seeing a ghost or two, um, but you'd benefit even more from listening to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40. No, no, the, the festivities aren't bad in themselves. The problem is that they're like a bag of crisps. When you need a proper meal, they're kind of okay, but they don't hit the spots. <coughs> Excuse me. They don't last. They don't fill the hope gap. Well, this period that we call Advent, the run-up to Christmas, is a time of looking forward. Have you ever thought about why we look forward? I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Why do we look forward? Do cats and dogs look forward to stuff? I I really don't know. I've been able to get one to tell me. But, but, But as human beings, we do. We look forward to stuff with with an aching longing sometimes. And I suspect that's because we hope things may get better. There are things that aren't good. And we hope that there's something that is in the future that might change that for us. Of course, one of the issues is that we misidentify the real problem. We lack fun. We lack a bit of zing in our lives. Maybe a party will help. We lack time with family. Maybe a break from work will help. We we lack that thing that we hope someone will buy us. But even when those hopes are fulfilled, January is still blue.
What we really need is something that can affect long-lasting, life-changing change for us. Something that really hits the spot long-term. Well, Isaiah wrote a message of Christmas hope for a desperate situation. (coughs) I suspect more desperate than many of us has faced. The context is that for 39 chapters, he has been prophesying judgment, impending disaster. And that disaster would fall upon the people of God. Jerusalem would fall and the people would be taken into captivity. Isaiah's ministry has been one of warning to prepare the people for this disaster. But then in the second half of his book from uh, chapter 40 through to 66, his ministry is to offer hope. A prophecy of hope. And so Isaiah 40 begins that ministry of hope in earnest. There's been hints of it previously, and we'll refer to one in a little while. But Isaiah 40 onwards. <coughs> excuse me. It's that time of year when we not only get the blues, but we get colds as well, don't we? And I'm just clearing one up. Isaiah 40 is is a message that would come into its own 150 years after it was given through him. The Jewish people would be taken into exile. And I've no doubt that during their time of captivity, Jewish families like Daniel's and Mordecai's and Ezra's and Nehemiah's would have celebrated their equivalents of Christmas. The Passover, the different festivals that Jewish people enjoyed. But they would experience post-Passover blues like we experience our downs, I guess, as well. For 70 long years, things would seem hopeless for them in captivity. When is this going to end? They would seem hopeless, but for words like these that we have from Isaiah 40. And Isaiah is very clear. What they needed was not festivities. They needed the Lord God himself to come and change things. Not just the surface stuff that holidays and festivities and a new home and a new job and all of that can change not that surface stuff they needed God to come and change the base level stuff that really shapes our lives and that's what these five short verses in Isaiah speak to but the first thing that we need to realize from verses three and four is this that it wouldn't be a quick fix. God's answers are often not quick fix answers. Look at what it says in those verses. A voice cries 
in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a a plain. We like quick fixes, don't we? Patch it up, put a sticking plaster on it, hit it with a painkiller, some paracetamol, ibuprofen, maybe something stronger. We like our quick fixes, but the problem with quick fixes is that they can often just hide the problem. Or sometimes, if we're abusing substances, they can make the problem worse. Well, here in Isaiah 40, there will be three voices. We'll look at one of them. We've read the the words given to that voice. Three voices that speak to tell us about the hope that God offers. And the message of the first is here in uh, verses three to five. God is coming to fix things, but there is a highway to be prepared. In some, uh, in some countries that I've visited, the, uh, the most remarkable highway in the country is the one from the airport to the presidential palace. And it was rather like that, what goes on with that, that uh, is being spoken of in these verses. The highway from the airport to the presidential palace is to impress visiting dignitaries when they come into the country. Because the president is important and he would travel that highway often. You know how it is if, um, if royalty are coming, everything gets smartened up, a red carpet goes out and all the rest of it. <coughs> well, this was the equivalent of a red carpet. A road was to be prepared for the Lord's coming. Of course, it's figurative. But God was going to take time to ensure that the coming of the Lord God was well prepared for. David, um, your David here, I mean, not the David in the Bible, um, uh, preached uh, not so long ago about John the Baptist, didn't he? And these verses are applied to him. He was one who would come to prepare the way for the Lord. (coughs) Sometimes when we're desperate for God to step in and deal with things, he takes time for urchin in my imaginary story it was a week it's about all a little lad can cope with isn't it but for some of us there may be things that we're facing and we've faced a long time and we're waiting for the Lord to step in but for these people there would be 70 long years before they would be released from captivity and then centuries more before this promise would ultimately be fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's ways aren't always quick fix ways because he wants to deal with the real problems. 
get to the heart of it. Time would elapse. Patience would be needed. But nonetheless, Isaiah's message, though he couldn't promise a quick fix, was one in which there would be a message of comfort. Verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God says to his, his messengers, bring people comfort, strengthen them. Don't we all need that? Don't you feel you need that sometimes? God to come and strengthen you, to bring you comfort. That's, that's why bar humbug is so unhelpful, isn't it? As we approach Christmas, we, we may need to understand that God's approach to our blues isn't a quick fix approach, but neither is it dull and negative, kind of like get used to it, life's rubbish, isn't it? No, God isn't like that at all. He's the God of comfort. When Jesus saw crowds of people in all their need, he didn't say, there you are, you see, you're sinners, what can you expect? No, no, he had compassion on them. He knew that they'd gone wrong. But he had compassion. He reached out. He loved. He cared. He brought comfort. He brought hope. Jesus is light in the darkness, joy for the sorrowful, strength for the weary, victory for the defeated. This one who is going to come into the world, he cared for the distressed, the disabled, the poor, the sick, the suffering. He spoke comfort. He spoke hope. And the basis for that comfort is spelt out here in verse 2. Here is the purpose for the Lord coming into our troubled world. Speak, here's what the voice is to say, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. Here are three things that Jesus comes to bring. The first is this He comes to bring peace. Cry to her that her warfare is ended. Now, of course, the original situation into which this is spoken is one of political conflict. The people of God would be overrun, cast out of their own nation. They were transported to Babylon and uh, they were made to serve the enemy states. <coughs> but you see, the ultimate cause of their plight wasn't really the might of Babylon. No, the ultimate cause of their plight was their rebellion against God. They had worshipped other gods. Isaiah has been talking about that for the previous 39 chapters. They'd sacrificed to them. They'd even sacrificed children to these other gods. They had declared war on gods. And they suffered the consequences. But now God says, I'm bringing that to an end. Your warfare, your exile will come to an end. The Lord Jesus Christ came that first Christmas to bring peace 
Do you remember those other words from Isaiah? Somewhat earlier, it's one of those little hints that you get in the earlier chapters. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and to capital, Prince of Peace. He comes as the Prince of Peace on a peace mission. Here is comfort for us. He comes first of all, first and foremost, to make peace between us and God. And without that, our exile from him, from meaning, from satisfaction in life would be entirely impossible. But how can peace be won? How how can um, Ukraine and Russia find peace? Defeat? Well, I suppose it might bring an end to a war. But would it really bring peace between those peoples? Negotiation? Maybe. Form of words that allows everyone to climb down and take their troops back to barracks? But would that really bring peace between two nations who have fought and where there's been huge loss of life? How can we find peace with God? Well, defeat doesn't sound like a very good idea, does it? For us to be defeated by God, what would be left of us? Negotiation. Could we, in our rebellion, negotiate with God in his holiness and purity? No, no. The initiative has to come from him. The mechanism for peace has to be his. The penalty for our sin has to be dealt with. And so the next section of verse 2 says that her iniquity is pardoned. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her this, her iniquity is, is pardoned. Jesus came to forgive sin. Here's the hope that begins at Christmas. Peace through sin being forgiven. The Lord Jesus Christ came to purchase forgiveness. Her iniquity is pardoned, says the ESV. In the NIV it says, her sin has been paid for. And both both ideas, you need both ideas. God pardons our iniquity. Iniquity speaks of the perversity, the folly, the depravity that occasions a guilt that must be punished. We need pardon. Not on the basis that our faults are minor ones, for they're not. But on the basis of God's magnificent, amazing overwhelming grace with which he comes to us in Jesus. Our sin has been paid for. The penalty has been dealt with. The debt has been paid. The punishment has been exacted. 
but not on us. On Jesus who came for us. The baby born in Bethlehem came to pay the price for sin. But then the third thing that comes out in this verse is that he comes to make complete atonement for sin. That's the thrust of this somewhat strange, I find it strange anyway, end to verse 2. The the comfort that God brings is that Jerusalem has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. Have you ever wondered what that verse means? I think I sang it many years before um, kind of seriously thinking about it. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What is this? This idea of something being double for sin. Well, it seems that the best way to understand it is this. Excuse me. (coughs) A double is a replica. Some of you remember the days when you bought something. I know loads of you won't remember these days, but bear with me. It's my grey hair, right? Um, some of you remember the days when, when you bought something in a shop or a trades place and they had this invoice book, right? And they, they put a piece of carbon paper in the invoice book and they'd write on it and uh, it would itemise what you'd bought and it would say the amount that it all came to and then they'd write across it, paid in full. And there'd be the top copy... And then there'd be, you'd be given a copy, which was the double of the top copy, wasn't it? It's exactly the same. Well, it seems that that's the best way to understand this. That what we are given is the double of, of our debt before God. Itemised, all of our sin and its price. The wages of sin is death. But written across it is paid in full and we receive that. That's double entry. So we're given in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his resurrection a sure guarantee that our sin has been paid for in full. That's wonderful. That's hope, isn't it? Here's the heart of what we look forward to at Christmas. God coming into this world to meet us at our point of greatest need. To address our deepest trouble. Our sin, our rebellion against him. But one last thing before we finish. It's this. He comes... To reveal his glory. Verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Could almost feel like bursting out into the um, Messiah. You know that bit. Some of you will. The glory. The glory of the Lord. Shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Here's the Advent antidote to the blues. To your year-round blues. 
Advent calls us to look forward to Christmas, yes, but also to look to that time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. And when he does, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. His glorious, majestic, overwhelming, amazing grace will be seen, expressed in all its fullness, and all flesh shall see it together. All the nations shall see it. I come from Yorkshire. Yorkshire people will see it. I don't know where you come from. People from your part of the world will see it and will know the glory of God. And everyone who trusts in him will experience his ultimate grace, experience all that it means for our sins to be forgiven. New bodies. No more coughing, spluttering. Sorry about that this morning. No more worries. No more loss. No more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things will pass away. He says, behold, I make everything new. And like I say, the words aren't just for the ancient people of God in Isaiah's day. This is for you and for me. The offer of pardon, of reconciliation with God. Despite our faults and failings and our rebellion, that offer is open even this morning. So every one of us is encouraged to come into this comfort. To meet with this Prince of Peace, to receive his forgiveness, to thank him for paying the price of punishment that our sins deserve. Every last one of us. I'm just going to pray very briefly. For some of you, you may never have really understood this before. And this might be the first time that you've prayed a prayer where you've said thank you to God. Well, take it to heart. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do so even right now, even if it's for the first time. Let's just pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us in sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to bring ultimately an end to the battle that we face in this world, that our iniquity might be pardoned, that we might receive full atonement from him for our sin. Thank you that you offer that to us in Jesus. We receive your forgiveness afresh today. And bless you for all your goodness to us. Hear us as we come humbly before you in the name of Jesus. Amen.